0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. discovered your link to gopowercat.com's powercat recruiting podcast presented by 24 7 sports and it starts right now now let's go to the WTC gig powered studios here are your hosts gopowercat.com publisher tim fitzgerald and gopowercat.com's ryan wallace
2: Welcome to a special edition of the PowerCat Podcast. Signing day is Wednesday for the Kansas State football program and all football programs. We thought we'd sneak you a preview podcast tonight before signing day arrives in the morning and all hell breaks loose. Tim Fitzgerald in the WTC Gig Pirate Studios and our recruiting editor, chief analyst, and recruiting whiz, Ryan Wallace, with me. Wally, this early signing period's kind of changed everything, hasn't it? This, this is really the day now, as opposed to this being in February, and this old dog is still adjusting.
1: I think I saw something from uh, the main account for the twenty four seven on Twitter uh, the earlier this week. Post something along the lines that eighty uh, percent of the prospects that uh, I, I guess prospects that they're aware of on the national landscape are expected to sign um, on Wednesday, which is just insane. Um, you know, it really has taken away some of the luster uh, that, that February had. And and to a certain extent, you know, it, it kind of loses a lot of that kind of one-day drama. But in a sense, we're getting a lot of that drama, at least for teams not named K-State. Uh, we'll get that drama now in December instead of February. But again, thanks to the job that Chris Kleinman staff did early on, particularly, you know, back in June, um, May, June, and, and really before the season began, they kind of get to kick their feet up and uh, relax for the majority of Wednesday because I think it's going to be, for most of the folks in Manhattan, pretty drama-free.
2: Yeah, they really roared out of the gates and got a lot of commitments. You can only have 25 in a class. I think K-State had some that they can count back into last year's class, guys that, that would – arrive in January. If you've got some spaces, you can count back. They'll hang on to a few for the late signing period. They'll just hang on to a few, period. Maybe they'll get another senior transfer. Gilbert and Brown certainly worked out in the backfield. Maybe there's a position they're on hold with. And they have been reluctant to go the junior college route. It's not where they want to go, but they have done so as of late. They've probably gotten, I would guess, a few more guys. What are they up to, four from the JUCO ranks? Yeah, that's correct. And they just, as we sat down to do this podcast, got number four and a little bit earlier picked up number three. A couple defensive linemen have joined the Wildcats. Break those guys down.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, they started with Robert Hence, who's another defensive tackle, and then also got uh, Dawson Delforge, uh, offensive lineman from Butler County. Uh, and they were sitting with those two up until early signing period Eve on Tuesday afternoon when they were able to get another. Butler County lineman on the defensive side of the ball, uh, that's Derek Newton. And, you know, there you know, wasn't a lot of excitement uh, around his commitment, and I don't want to say that um, from the sense that he's not a talented player. It's just he's already signed with Kansas State once. Um, so we've kind of been expecting him to come back to Manhattan throughout this recruiting cycle. He ended up becoming, uh, as a freshman, a first-team all-KJ CCC player in this talented region of, of junior colleges that Kansas State is so fortunate to be uh, in the middle of. And so, you know, Newton brings a little bit of, of a different dynamic than Robert Hentz. They both can get in the backfield in a hurry. You know, they're both athletic linemen, both a little bit undersized, but I, I do think Hentz can be a little bit more of a, uh, of a run stopper. Whereas Newton is, man, he is absolutely uh, a pure pass rusher. Um, and, and that's what they liked out of him at out of coffee high school back in the 2018 class. And so, like I said, um, they'll get three years for three out of him uh, the second time around. And then the the second guy that they were able to get on Tuesday evening was Kamari Gaines. He's a strong side defensive end from Hutchinson Community College. Another guy that we've kind of been forecasting would end up in Manhattan all along. They were able to get um, some late interest with him um, back in November, got an offer his way, and uh, they've been the leader for him from the get-go. You know, Sam Pittman in Arkansas have tried to come in here late and really try and engage his interest late in the game. But I think what Kansas State was able to do and and really develop a trust and show him that, that they do need somebody opposite of Wyatt Hubert immediately ready to go next year, um, to spell boom Massey. I think that was really tempting for Kamar Gaines, and I think he likes the idea of playing in the Big 12 where you know there's so many drop-back quarterbacks that he has a chance to uh, you know get in the backfield quite a bit.
2: Well, last night wasn't free of drama, as in Monday, and we've been following the T. Denson recruiting quite closely, and it was a little hairy for Kansas State, but... They were able to remain a factor in Georgia, even though it's a new staff, and they've got two decorated corners. Tell us about the additions of T.J. Smith and Denson.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Joe Klanderman, Brian Anderson, and Buddy Wyatt, those three have kind of formed a, a tag team, if you will, to to get into Georgia. And, of course, Van Malone and, and other position coaches um, have jumped in there when needed. but. You look at uh, primarily what Brian Anderson was able to do with those two, and, and it's pretty remarkable because um, they're very talented players in their own right. You know, I think TJ Smith was probably a little bit more under-heralded than T. Denson, primarily because of his stature at only 5'9. T. Denson is one and brings a little bit more length to the equation. So obviously. You know, college coaches were drawn to him a little bit more. Um, but the thing that I like about both of these players, and, and T.J. Smith will play nickel, T. Denson will play more of that kind of a cover corner out on the boundary. But they come from immensely powerful, heralded Georgia football programs. And when I say that, that's that's saying that from the standpoint, of course, that Georgia is one of the most talent-rich recruiting states in the country. Um, Cedar Grove has now won back-to-back state titles, and McEachern is uh, you know, recognized every year as, as one of the state, if not one of the the nation's best programs out of Powder Springs. So you look at both of those guys, and I think what I like best about them is they're just natural cover corners. Um, technique-wise, there's not a lot that Van Malone and Joe Klanderman are going to have to iron out. You know, It's going to be more getting them in a strength program, Getting some extra weight so that they're able to, to bang around with some of the bigger receivers in the Big Twelve. But these are two, honestly, of the better cover men that Kansas State has has gotten out of the high school ranks in many many years. Uh, this will be a class that you'll look back on as really being a foundation for the secondary and and one that allows Van Malone and these guys to you know not play that 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 type of uh, defense that we became familiar with with. Bill Snyder, where guys are playing, you know, 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. These are guys that they're going to be able to get right up on the line of scrimmage uh, and press cover from snap first down to to fourth down.
2: One of the positions we thought they would go the junior college route with was the offensive line. And to this point, at least, they only have one offensive lineman from the JUCO ranks. And boy, they looked at a number of guys. What do you know about Dawson DelForge, the the one offensive lineman they have? Well,
1: you know, he's versatile, and, you know, the transition from Charlie Dickey to Connor Riley, if there's one thing that I think they both carry, it's it's this idea of recruiting linemen um, that are fluid, that you can move literally from one side to the other, and I think that's the type of lineman that they're going to get with Dawson Delforge. I think if they need him to be a tackle, I think you can slide him out there and do that because he is 6'5", you know, about 315 pounds. But at Butler County, he was primarily an offensive guard. Where Connor Riley likes him um, is anyone's guess. And I, I don't know if we'll really know the answer until he arrives here and they get him going through uh, spring ball since he is a, an early enrollee for January. But, you know, coming out of Amigo, um, he's a guy that has always liked the idea of coming home and playing for uh, the local power in Kansas State. And so he's going to be a guy that obviously has cut his teeth a little bit in the JUCO market, you know, I think it was obviously the best move for him to go from Omigo to junior college and now to Power Five because I think he is uh, he's prepared himself well, and so I think he's the type of player that can come in and be a factor. It's just kind of a shame that that he's not a true tackle because I do think that's kind of where they're hurting most for depth.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I, I'll be intrigued to see what this coaching staff does with that position. But when you talk recruiting, everyone wants to know about the quarterback. I'm included. I'm fascinated by Will Howard. How does he fit into this system? Because he might be the guy after one redshirt season that takes over for Skylar Thompson.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up Skylar Thompson. I think, you know, going back and, and reviewing some of the quarterbacks that Kansas State has landed, um, you know, Bill Snyder was notorious for having, you know, at least one quarterback. Every class, which is smart when you think about it because it is a a position that you do see some kids that exit and, you know, transfer early out of. So it's always nice to have, you know, a kid for each class. But I think Will Howard might be the best passer that we've seen Kansas State land since Skyler Thompson, maybe even since Jake Waters. I I think he is immensely accurate, um, can make just about every throw. And is surprisingly athletic um, for, you know, being 6'4", 210 pounds and being a primarily a pro-style quarterback. You know, obviously being from the area uh, in Downington West in Downington, Pennsylvania, very close to the Philadelphia Eagles. And so he's going to remind some people, uh, just like he did with Coach Kahneman and Coach Messingham of, of Carson Wentz, maybe not quite that athletic, but, but from a build and, and uh, a fundamentals and technique standpoint, um, you certainly see some of those similarities. And, you know, fits again a talent rich state like Pennsylvania. And Will Howard, recently named the Southeast Pennsylvania Player of the Year, um, was doing things for Downington West that that program has not done in many years. Um, and he was the catalyst for it. He's the type of player that uh, they wanted to get in at that position to allow Courtney Messingham to really do the things he wants to do. On offense, that we're starting to see under Skyler Thompson. I think Will Howard has the ability and certainly the potential to not only take over the reins from Skyler Thompson when, when Skyler's time in Manhattan is done, but maybe even build off of Skyler and, and exceed um, what we've seen Skyler be able to do in this offense.
2: If you're recruiting at Kansas State, the state of Kansas has to be a cornerstone. We know that. It's not going to change under this staff. As of now, there's five guys out of the high school ranks from Kansas in this class. What do you think of this group?
1: Yeah, you know, they they weren't able to land some of the most high-profile kids out of Kansas. And predominantly when I mention that, I'm talking about Turner Corcoran, Daniel Jackson, Kai Thomas that end up at at Minnesota and Nebraska. And so that was one of the minor kind of errors that that, that I point out um, in signing day coverage for tomorrow that, you know, if there is something that, that you can kind of nitpick, it might be that they didn't land the best in Kansas. But they did land some really good players in in a very deep year for Kansas. Nate Matlack is a guy that is wildly athletic, and they can develop him from a six foot four, two hundred twenty pound defensive end that can do everything to a six foot four, two hundred forty, two hundred fifty pound defensive end that can do everything. And I mean, drop back and cover, rush the passer, be an anchor against you know run defense. He is as good of an athlete as we've seen in in the defensive side come out of. Uh, uh, the Kansas City area, and the Lake of the East. Honestly, in quite some time, his testing numbers are through the roof. We'll test right up there with a guy like Jordan Willis. Taylor Warner, uh, offensive guard, offensive tackle for Gardner Edgerton. Again, a big, big potential guy. Um, just like Sam Shields and Hadley Panzer, fellow offensive linemen, Um, that Kansas State was able to land. Those are all guys that are going to benefit from redshirt seasons, guys that Chris Dawson is going to absolutely love, and they're going to be staples here in two or three years because they are aggressive, nasty, physical guys that are also very soft-spoken when you get them off the field. And then finally, Cody Stuffelbean is a guy that, you know, I've talked to analysts from outside the state of Kansas that think, you know, if he was in another state, would have been sought after a lot more just because of the tools that he brings, uh, both as a tight end or a defensive end. Another really, really athletic kid that you know does it all from track, basketball, football. They're going to try him out at tight end first, and I think that he immediately brings an upgrade in athleticism from the players that we've seen in that position so far.
2: Yeah, I think he's got tight end written all over him when I look at film of him. I'm like, this is the kind of big athlete they want at that position. And honestly, if you're a tight end or a guy that aspires to those things, this is eventually going to be a great system. I mean, they've shown that at North Dakota State. They love to throw the ball to the tight end, but you've got to be the right guy. They're just not going to do it to do it. A couple guys have been on the list for a while, one out of Texas, one out of Louisiana. We don't expect either of them to sign. Break those down.
1: You're looking at JoJo Wilson is the cornerback uh, out of Houston at the, the prominent North Shore program, um, reigning state champions in Texas, and they'll be back in the state championship again this month. And he's one of their you know primary guys on defense, their lockdown cover man, six one one eighty. And honestly, you know before the additions of T.J. Smith and T. Denson, might have been one of my favorite players in this in this class, and I still think he is. K-State sorely wants him, you know, Van Malone and company are going to be riding him out throughout the course of the next month, but it's, it's an academics thing. You know, it's, it's not that he's wavering on his pledge to K-State. He wants to be in Manhattan, um, but just needs to get some academic things corrected. Otherwise I think we'll see him in the junior college uh, ranks and not flipping to another school. Uh, The other player is McHolden's son, uh, Maxon down in Louisiana, uh, he's a wide receiver, but uh, a guy that can play some defensive back. And I think that's where K-State would like to try him first. Um, the story with Maxon, again, is not that he's wavering on his commitment to K-State. He's wanted to sign in February all along because he is a February baby. Um, that is his birthday month. He wants his signing to you know mean something. And so he's going to hold off, wait until February. And again, the coaches have been working him relentlessly since the day he committed. Um, And it doesn't appear like he's going to be headed anywhere. But, you know, in the last month, you can rest assured that that Van Malone is going to be in his ear, just making sure that nobody else comes to try and pry him away.
2: According to our national staff of analysts at 24-7, Jeremiah Harris is an inside linebacker, is the elite player of this class. What can you tell me about him?
1: immensely athletic you know I've said that word a lot, but you know uh, coach Kleiman has preached from day one that he wants you know um, big guys that, that, that are long and can run. Jeremiah Harris uh, he goes by Jay, isn't the longest guy, isn't the biggest guy you know probably only about six feet one, maybe 200, 205 pounds um, but does have a frame that you can work with but the thing they like about him is and again just how quick he is. He's a relentless guy in his pursuit of the ball and, you know, gets from point A to point B in a hurry. He can cover sideline to sideline as well as drop back and pass coverage. K-State was able to get him away from Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Missouri, and thankfully they were able to get in on him early because I think, you know, playing for a program like Shadow Creek that, uh, again, is back – in the 5A state championships in Texas, they're a program that's under the limelight quite a bit. So you could have seen his recruitment really blossom at Kansas State, not gotten him committed in June. Uh, but they were in the, ended up getting him early. He loves the program. And, and I, he reminds me a lot of Eli Sullivan. That's the type of player that, that they're getting in Jay Harris and, and a guy that um, could see the field uh, a lot sooner than Eli did. Um, he'll probably take a redshirt season and, unless he really comes in and blows up, but he should be ready to go in year two because they're going to need him.
2: What area do you feel like K-State hit a home run with in this class as you begin to preview what they need in the future?
1: Well, I think defensive uh, backfield, you know, in the secondary, they got a heck of a lot stronger, you know. And, and really, you know, you have guys like Wayne Jones back there already and guys like Lance Robinson that are also young, that look like players that, that you can work with. And they were able to get Will Jones last year and they like Logan Wilson. But I think as they've come to, to realize after a year in the big 12 is you need more depth in the secondary. And so even though you have some of those younger players, it was you know immensely important that they got more guys and got more talent, um, more pure cover players to attack those wide receivers that they see week in and week out. And so, again, to hopefully get Joseph Wilson, hopefully get Max on in February, and then no matter what, still have T. Denson and T.J. Smith there at the nickel. That's going to be huge. Uh, and, of course, Malachi Mitchell at safety, too. I don't want to leave him out. But uh, the other area that I think that, that they got a lot better at is is tight end, Um, Christian Moore is probably going to play more fullback, but he's a nasty guy that can play tight end as well. Will Swanson, um, and we already mentioned Cody Stuffelbean, that was a position that other than Connor Fox, they really had nobody um, coming up the system, coming up the ranks, and so they got a lot better at tight end. And even though they didn't get an offensive tackle fit, these young offensive linemen that they got out of the high school ranks are guys that again I said it before the ceiling is extremely high for these players that you know they're not guys that are going to be immediate impact players um, and so I know fans are a little disappointed because Kansas State does need immediate impact guys on the offensive line um, but they're players that the ceiling is incredibly high and I think they're going to be guys that they build a foundation around for years to come.
2: How surprised are you that they didn't get a tackle either out of the JUCO or high school ranks?
1: Very surprised, yeah. I'm t- uh, you know, Carver Willis is a true tackle, um, but really, that's it. You know, out of the high school ranks, uh, and really, really surprised they didn't. They weren't able to get anybody from the junior college department. Um, I think they would have gotten JJ Crawford. From the sounds of it, they could have had him in, in the summer. Um, but again, you know, it's up to these kids to buckle down in the classroom, and you know, sometimes they, they want to, and sometimes they don't. And so you're seeing a guy like JJ Crawford that will probably have to wait, you know, isn't probably going to sign in December is going to have to wait, um, as a may graduate. And, and so maybe you can pick him up, uh, in February, you know, Zeke Powell is a guy at Coffeyville that they really liked and really wanted. Um, but again, academic flags rose up for him as well. So I'm surprised that that they weren't able to, you know, lock down somebody earlier and, and see that that was going to be a need a lot, you know, sooner than later in the fall. Um, but you know, to defend uh, the recruiting staff and the staff that Chris Kleiman has, you know, they did identify guys early. They uh, they did get on guys that, that they felt like they could get and probably would have gotten. But, you know, sometimes the academics are out of their control. And so it, it's a shame that they weren't able to lock down somebody earlier. But, um, again, the, the beautiful thing nowadays, Spitz, and it, it is a little dicey, is that wonderful thing called the transfer portal. And, yep. and you can – guarantee that 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 offensive tackle um, will be a position that they're going to be looking at.
2: Yeah. I mean, you get a better picture of what you're getting and you can just bring in someone and plug them in for a year and let them play. They worked at running back and other schools I've seen have had great luck along the offensive line. We're going to take a little break now on this recruiting podcast brought to you by 24-7 Sports and on the other side, we're going to get into some more big picture stuff with Ryan Wallace, our recruiting editor and analyst here at GoPowerCad.com. We're going to do another podcast on Wednesday, post signing day press conference. We will have Hank Jacobs and Taylor Bratt in here in the WTC Gig Parade Studios to do some video and do some audio and we will have a lot more information on recruiting in the written word and all kinds of stuff all over go powercat throughout wednesday but for now let's take a little break and we'll be right back on the other side with more of ryan wallace
0: stay locked in the powercat podcast will be right back
1: this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what?
0: We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC Gig Powered Studios.
2: Welcome back to this special recruiting podcast, a recruiting PowerCat podcast brought to you by Twenty Four Seven Sports. We are affiliates on the network, and boy, do we love it. Gabe Brooks, our kind of contact with the national recruiting staff, always does a good job covering Kansas State for us, particularly out of the Texas Louisiana region. Wally, let's continue now with some questions. Not as much about this. Class specifically, but maybe big picture things. Is there, we just talked about tackle in the last section. Is there another area that maybe they just missed on with this class? I think to
1: some extent, maybe you could make an argument for running back, yeah. um, just because you do lose James Gilbert, um, you do lose Jordan Brown. Um, it seemed like there at the end of the year, maybe they were a little bit reluctant to make Harry Trotter more of a presence. So, will they make him um, the staple next season? I don't know. And, and I, again, you the, you get to rest easy a little bit knowing that Joe Irvin um, had the type of freshman year that he did. Jacaria Wright is still there, and, and there were even guys that we didn't get to see this year, and C.J. Price and Thomas Grayson. So. I would say in, instead of running back, because they were able to get you know an all-purpose guy in Deuce Vaughn, Keon Mosey can do a little bit out of the backfield as well, even though both of those players could, could see some time in the slot. I think receiver was a spot for me personally that I wish they would have hit a little bit harder in this class. I realized that numbers-wise, pretty much you're only losing Dalton Schoen from that group Um, heading into next year, you still have Malik Knowles, you still have Shabaston Taylor, you still have Josh Youngblood and Keenan Garber coming up. I I get it. But if you're only going to use one scholarship for a wide receiver in this class, I was surprised that they went ahead and took Jalen Travis. No knock on Travis because I do feel like he has the tools to develop, but they needed a bigger weapon. They needed a guy that I think can stretch the field a little bit more than Travis can. And quite frankly, I just don't think they they were able to do that. So for me personally, I really would have liked to have seen them maybe go get another wide receiver to compliment Travis, you know, or maybe just wait a little bit, see if there was anybody else that they could get that was, um, you know, maybe fit this scheme, fit what they need vertically a little bit more than Travis and if they if they couldn't um, then maybe see if they can come back and get the Mansfield Summit wide receiver a little bit later
2: okay we're officially past the one year mark with Chris Kleiman at Kansas State he was in charge of recruiting at this time last year but I don't know about you but for me it's been a big transition from the recruiting style of the Kleiman program as opposed to the Bill Snyder program what jumps out at you as the difference and maybe similarities in the two
1: as far as the differences go, obviously there's you know everything that we see the social media presence, um, these these uh, graphic uh, edits that the Kansas State is sending out that the players are posting all over their social media platforms. But you'll be able to read and um, many, not all, but many of the profiles uh, as kids sign tomorrow, you'll be able to read some quotes from various uh, signees, and and you'd be surprised how many of them mention. Um, and and what sold them on K-State or a memorable moment from their recruitment, how many of them mentioned the name Chris Kleiman and a conversation they had with Chris Kleiman um, that stands out and how impactful that was in them choosing Kansas State and the lasting memory that that left. You never really heard that with Bill Snyder. You did when he would bring kids in on official visits, but quite often it it wasn't a, a conversation that was memorable. And that's no knock on Coach Snyder. He was just more of an old-school guy that preferred to talk about, you know, your academics and and your family life. And I do think Chris Kleiman touches on a lot of those things, too. Um, But the way that his delivery is just seems to hit home with a lot of these younger players. And he is just the type of guy that I think you were able to sit down with him and you've seen him in person um, deliver, uh, you know, uh, command of a room. And I think he does that. Um, When he's speaking one on one to these recruits. So, um, from that standpoint, I think they're very different. Uh, Coach Kleiman is out on the trail and in person with a lot of these prospects. Similarity wise, you know, I think they're very similar in the way that they evaluate, Uh, they throw stars out. You know, I think they look at players that, you know, are hungry, that are a little under-recruited, you know, that do have a a desire to get better and want to be coached, and guys that have an upside. You know, Coach Snyder was great at finding diamonds in the rough. I think there are a few in this class, you know, uh, littered throughout from top to bottom, guys that that Chris Kleiman and his staff were able to evaluate and, you know, see some potential in, ignore some of these minor question marks and flaws, and just ride with it. Some of them work out, some of them don't. But I think we'll learn to trust this staff and their evaluations just as we did Coach Snyder's.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong here, and this was the thing that kind of struck me, is their ability to get out there and secure so many early commitments. I mean, before the season even started, they had you know, some of the most commitments of any program in the Big 12. It has prevented them from being in scramble mode at this time of year. And it always seems like whether the signing day was December or February, we'd go into a scramble mode with Bill Snyder's recruiting as they try to fill the holes frantically at the end before they lose other players. And that hasn't been necessary this time.
1: No, 100% true. Um, you know, can't tell you how many times we would go into January with Coach Snyder, and because his staff would have to go dormant through the season and, and primarily keep so much of their focus on what was happening within the veneer complex, um, they would lose sight of, of a lot of recruits that by the end of summer they, they hadn't really gotten a in on. You know, and then those prospects were interested, and then things would go quiet, and they'd lose them in the fall, and so, yeah, they would come back in December, and furiously try and set up visits for literally the last weekend before you know, National Signing Day in February, trying to get you know pieces together. And some of those pieces would work, but many of them didn't. And so what we saw with Coach Kleiman and company was a carryover from what they did uh, so often at North Dakota State. They put heavy emphasis on getting kids in for junior days Those kids that immediately struck them in evaluations, they were in on more than one junior day weekend. I think we had close to three or four junior day weekends Roughly this time last year, you know, here in a couple months, uh, and then uh, they really emphasize their camp circuit. If you were invited to a K-State camp uh, this year by Coach Kleiman, it was a serious invitation um, and and really a, a sincere tryout for for them. Because you know, you look at some of the guys that ended up committing to this program. Jalen Travis earned his offer at a camp visit. Hadley Panzer earned his offer. At a camp visit, Cody Stufflebean earned his offer at a camp visit. Will Swanson, all of these kids were able to impress at camp visits. And um, that was another thing that really stood out to me was, again, camp wasn't so much this this year to, you know, just – make relationships with guys or it wasn't for as it was with Coach Snyder sometimes a chance for him to uh, see how his assistant coaches could coach and kind of teach them how to coach for the fall. It was legitimately we are here to recruit and they were able to hit home runs with a lot of kids and I I think we'll see that those camps will become more and more important You know, the longer Chris Kleiman is in Manhattan. Um, He definitely used those two or three uh, weekends in June to his advantage. This, this class.
2: One of the things that jumped out at me is when we knew that Chris Kleiman was going to be the guy, you immediately start talking about recruiting, and they had so much luck in that upper Midwest region, Minnesota and Illinois, of course the Dakotas and Nebraska. Yeah, there's a Nebraska guy here and there, and uh, but for the most part, this is rooted in exactly what K-State football has been rooted in. Granted, there's a quarterback out of Pennsylvania, which is totally out of left field, but you see guys from the Sunflower State and a whole bunch of guys from Texas. And they did a pretty good job in Texas, didn't they?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's where the majority of this class is. You take away the six from Kansas and the next two highest states as far as the number of commits that Kansas State is going to uh, end up signing as long as this class holds together. You're looking at seven players from Texas and then three from Georgia. And then you add in you know California, Florida, Uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, um, as far as, you know, the junior college ranks go. So fits going back and reflecting, that was one of probably the only concern that I had with the hiring of Chris Kleiman right out of the gate was just can he prove himself to be a recruiter and not, like you said, going up into, you know, getting the best player in South Dakota or, you know, you can't make a living in Nebraska picking off, You know, the corn huskers leftovers. You have to be a staple in Texas. You have to be a staple in some of these more talent rich recruiting areas. And Chris Kleiman has said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And he has, and he's proven himself. Um, And and the scary thing is that this is still a staff that, in a lot of those kids in Texas and Georgia or Florida, you know, isn't a staple yet there. And so, it's scary to think what this staff can do with you know a stronger pedigree and a stronger resume after a couple of years in the Big 12, um, what they can do. So, uh, absolutely, and I, I, it goes without saying the importance of Van Malone Um yeah, there. what he did in Texas, the majority of, of those commits went, and future signees, I should say, in Texas, he had his fingerprint on. Jeremiah Harris. Houston, that's Van Malen's territory. Joseph Wilson, Houston. You look at uh Ronald Triplett, Houston. Uh and then, you know, on top of that, you look at the kids out of Georgia, um, were all, you know, the cornerbacks, which is his position. So of course he had, you know, his hands in on those recruitments to a certain degree as well. So Uh, It goes without saying the history that that man has in Texas and why his hiring was so important, you're reaping the benefits of it now here at early, Early Signing Period.
2: We talked about the Sunflower State in the first portion of this podcast, five guys out of the state. Did they do a good job considering these relationships? It's, it almost feels like they got beat to the punch on some of these guys with coaches that had set up shop prior to Chris Kleiman, maybe just a year or two in advance. And also, what's coming down the road? What's the state of Kansas look like in the future for this staff?
1: Yeah, you know, it was a little tough. And I think Coach Kleiman sort of um, alluded to that a little bit early on. And when he said that they were kind of behind the eight ball a little bit as far as 2020 commits go. And that's why it's really hard to, you know, for as much as we want to applaud um, what they were able to do with this group of signings, I think 2021 will be a little bit more telling about what this coaching staff can do, not only in Kansas, um, but outside of Kansas, because those will be players that they will have had a chance to develop relationships with now for at least a year, if not more for a lot of the local kids. So you know it's hard to really beat them up for losing Turner Corcoran or losing Kai Thomas, Um, because again they were forming relationships when a lot of other programs had already been on those targets for you know well over a year. But you you talked about the 2021 class in Kansas. It's definitely not as loaded top to bottom, and probably well not probably it it isn't going to be as top heavy. But I do think that there are probably three players in my eyes that that would stand the test uh, in in any class year in Kansas. Uh, I think personally Devin Neal out of Lawrence is going to wind up being the number one player in the state. I was able to see him go against Kai Thomas in the state playoffs this year, and he is absolutely dynamic. Running back from Lawrence High School. Uh, about 5'11", 6' tall, and probably by the time his senior year comes around, will be pushing you know, that 190, 200-pound threshold. And he is an all-purpose back that can be a receiver. He can run between the tackles, outside the tackles, and run away from you. Very good player. I think Arlen Bruce, another running back uh, at Olathe North, the reigning Simone Award winner. Uh, he was just crowned recently. A really dynamic player, better athlete than I think people give him credit for because he could end up becoming, you know, a defensive back, a safety in a lot of colleges' eyes. I wonder why maybe Kansas State hasn't offered yet. Maybe they're prioritizing Devin Neal, who does have an offer. Um, but I bet you Arlen Bruce the fourth will have an offer here soon. Uh, and another guy that, I, in my mind, I think stands the test there is Philippe Wesley out of Bishop Miege. Uh, K-State is targeting him. He's got a lot more national interest kind of did a, a little bit of a national recruiting tour this year in the offseason, so a lot of more colleges know about him. And so maybe uh, Kansas State doesn't end up with him, but uh, they kind of have their butts covered because they ended up going out and get getting a receiver that might have bigger potential than Philip Wesley, and that's Dorian Stevens, uh, 6'3", 185 pounds, out of Blue Valley High School, my alma mater. Uh, so I've been able to get to know Dorian rather well and watch him play a number of times. I think when you get him uh, in a system that is a little bit, you know, more defined uh, as Kansas State will and and kind of define his role a little bit um, and and bulk him up, preached it for him to be a little bit more physical, wow, you see him in pads, man. He certainly passes the eye test. And, um, you know, getting him locked down early on was huge for uh, the state of Kansas. And I, I think that, you know, he, he's the type of player that can really stretch the field and the guy that they need heading into the future wide receiver position.
2: Are they mostly done with this? I know there's a couple guys that they hope will sign late. Is there any storylines fans should be following as we covered at go power cat here leading up to the late period? Once this one closes and, or if the coaches pretty much said, you know what? We'll look at the portal. We'll go peek at that. You know, someone pops up, we'll take a look. But we're turning our attention to 21 and 22 and trying to build those relationships better that some coaches had when we arrived here in Manhattan.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it You know, might come as a disappointment to some who are used to, again, that kind of January surge, even with, you know, the early signing period. Because, again, you know, if you remember back to last year, a guy like Joshua Youngblood didn't really arrive on the scene for Kansas State recruiting until late December, early January, and so I think there are some uh, some fans out there that might be a little naive and, and hoping that this isn't done. That kind of want to live, uh, the, have the twenty twenty cycle live on. I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, you mentioned it earlier, Fitz, in the last segment. You know, we're already looking at twenty four commitments on Signing Day Eve. Like you mentioned, they might be able to hold some of the, push some of those guys back and not count. So they might actually have a little bit more room than just having, you know, one more scholarship left to give. They might have, you know, maybe two, three in the back pocket. But you you absolutely can assure that the transfer portal is going to be a place that they look. So they're going to have one in their back pocket there, and you know they might sign one or two more guys on Wednesday, whether it's, you know, Whit Mitchum, the offensive tackle high school from McKenzie, Tennessee, that was on a visit recently, whether it's Justin Gardner, the Hutchinson Community College defensive back teammate of Kamari Gaines. I know he's announcing tomorrow. He's still kind of on the radar. They might use a scholarship towards those two guys and just call it quits. They might not. Either way, I think the point I'm trying to make is it is going to be a very, 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 very quiet January from a 2020 standpoint, and it goes back to what I was just talking about with 2021. That is a class that this staff has been kind of eyeballing all along, even throughout the 2020 cycle. They've made it apparent they want to get in early on kids. And so I think the more time they can dedicate in January and February to next year's recruiting class, I think that's the way they would prefer it. And so as much as they can kind of have their hands clean post-tomorrow, the better. That, that's, that's the way that they want this to all work out.
2: Chris Kleiman's recruiting press conference is at 3 tomorrow. We will convene around 5 in this room and, and cover it again, and we'll see what tomorrow brings. Do you expect any surprises, or would they be surprises if you expect them? No,
1: like I said, I I think really the only two guys that, that, you know, Kansas State's really kind of waiting on at this point um, would be Whit Mitchum, um, the offensive tackle out of Tennessee. And maybe Justin Gardner, um, the defensive back out of uh, Hutchinson Community College. Other than that, you know, it might be a surprise if JoJo Wilson signs, might be a surprise if Max Somm signs. That would be pleasant news because we do, uh, we're crossing our fingers that those guys sign in February. But if they are able to sign tomorrow, that just means that they were able to get their academics together a little sooner than we thought. But, you know, other than those kind of scenarios playing out, I think it is, I think what you're seeing here on Tuesday night is pretty much the way that's going to appear on Wednesday.
2: His name's Ryan Wallace. He's our recruiting editor, our key analyst in covering Kansas State football. He's done it for years, and he's the best in the business. He doesn't report noise. He reports news. If he's reporting it, you can count on it. It comes from good sources. Wally, thank you very much. Well, it's a wrap for this recruiting podcast. As I mentioned, we will talk to you again on Wednesday right here from the WTC Gig Powered Studios.
0: You've been listening to the PowerCat Recruiting Podcast, presented by 24-7 Sports. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.
2: You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original
0: and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If Ready PG.